Highlight Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Eric. Hello. How are you? Uh, Good, I think. I mean, it's hard to tell anymore what good is. Uh, You know, it's like things are fine, but also... The world is burning, but also I don't mm-hmm. leave my apartment, so it's mm-hmm. hard to see that the world's. Bur- it's just a whole mess, you know. It's like it's like a very weird time. It's a very weird time politically. Um, I I have been going to protests. I've been talking about what's happening in the world in my personal life. All hell has broken loose, and I feel I need to share at the top of the show. Uh, I'm moving. I'm staying in Brooklyn. I'm just going to a new apartment. So, in terms of what that means for the show, I'll try to get back to you guys as soon as I can. But it all depends on like when I can get someone over to install internet. Apparently, that's complicated now because of the pandemic. It's sure. it's trickier to get somebody to come over and install internet right now you might hear some commotion in this apartment they're uh, replacing the hot water tank in our basement and they can only get access to that through our apartment so i apologize for any noise you guys might hear um but yeah i just wanted to give everybody a heads up i will get the show back up and rolling as quickly as i can but you know it all depends moving sucks yeah, it's the worst. So just FYI for everyone, um, doing the best I can. I cannot believe I have to move during a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> it's not wild. And everything else that's going on. I mean, I feel absolutely ridiculous. Like, I'm, I'm glad that I've had an opportunity to go to some protests, but I've just had days where I can't do anything because I'm packing. And it feels so stupid to be moving right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I... I also feel some like not moving, but like I've been having to work on like stuff for like my graduate school applications. Oh, and like right. every time I'm every time I'm like sitting here reading a book, I'm like, this is fucking dumb. Like, yeah, what I know. Like, why are we doing anything other than <laughs> protesting all the time? Yeah. Um, you know, it's just like, uh, yeah, I, I bought like four. I bought like four gigantic GRE study books. Yeah. And I just have been like. Like, I'll get off work in the morning and I'll just, like, sit down at my desk and start reading. And I'm just like, this sucks. Like, (laughs) this is stupid. Um, But I wanted to thank everybody for still supporting the show because uh, times are cray right now. And I know there are so many worthy causes um, where you could be donating your money. I, of course, encourage everyone, as always, to go to Black Lives Matter and set up reoccurring payments for uh, that movement, uh, any of the bail bonds you've seen posted everywhere online are always, always important. Um, and yeah, I mean, here in Brooklyn, <clears throat> excuse me, Bedstuy Strong is a great uh, organization that you can give money to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I personally wanted to thank David, uh, who signed up as a $10 patron at my Patreon. So I appreciate that, David. And yeah, the support is really, I'll say it crucial right now. (laughs) So, um, so appreciate it. Thank you so much, David. Um, and yeah, I wanted to read a recommendation from Mark, Again, if you are a supporter of mine over a Patreon, you get to send questions, comments, recommendations that we'll read on the show. So Mark has a recommendation, a comedy recommendation. Ooh. Hannah Gatsby 
has a new special. It's called Douglas. Mm. And for anyone that's like, ooh, she's great, but I don't know if I'm in the mood for another. I thought the same. It's not like that. It's objectively hilarious the entire time. Very good. Uh, Mark, I'm so glad you made that recommendation. Hannah's great. But I did have that concern because Hannah is so funny, so talented. But, oh, my God, she's, like, real, you know, like, and it can get very emotionally heavy. Um, It's more like a one-woman show than it is, like, a traditional comedy special. That Mm -hmm. doesn't diminish its quality or anything. It's just... It's not a light watch, you know? Yeah. But uh, it sound, I've heard great things, so I do have to check it out. Nice. Yeah, that yeah. sounds cool. I'll check that out. Um, and while we're in the recommendation section, and truly at this point, you guys, I have no idea how long we've been recording because a uh, little behind the scenes... Uh, Goss, I have had to stop and (laughs) start and stop the recording so many times because of the construction they're doing downstairs. Mm -hmm. Um, So look, it might be a longer episode than usual. Okay, get off my fucking back. Stop Um, complaining about extra. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? I just gave you more and you're complaining. Ungrateful. Ungrateful is what you are. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So I wanted to get to recommendations, but full disclosure, (laughs) I feel like I have completely wrecked the recommendation section of this show because I am just binge watching all of survivor. So <laughs> that is always my recommendation. I'm like, do you guys watch survivor? Mm-hmm. Do you like it? I like it. How, how far have you gotten? I am now on season 21. Ooh, wow. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hauling through it. I'm hauling through it. There's like 30 something seasons. Yeah. Um, it's a quick watch because I sort of cheat when I watch it. I fast forward and I know this might be a faux pas. So I apologize to like the hardcore survivor people. I fast forward a lot of the challenges. Um, and I know like dramatic things happen during the challenges and that heighten the overall storyline. Blah, blah, blah. I get it. But I find it very boring. I don't like to watch people do stuff like that. I like to do stuff like that. Um, and I'm a very competitive person, but I I get frustrated watching people do it because I think I want to be doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I always, that's actually probably a big reason I don't watch survivors. Cause I just found like the, it got too game showy. It, it was like watching double dare or something. I, I'll say like, like, I think the physical challenges are, like 20% of the show for me, like it's the, the social aspects of the game. The strategy is so much more interesting than just watching people do challenges, but the challenges do become part of the social, uh, strategizing. And I know that, and I recognize it. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying in terms of me watching survivor efficiently, I have been fast forwarding through most of the challenges and it hasn't diminished my enjoyment of it. I think that's a good strategy. Thanks. I think, I think you're probably not missing a ton. And you're got, you've got 30, what, 30 seasons worth of <laughs> content to get through. So Yeah, exactly. You know. I, can't, I can't fuck around, guys. I can't fuck around. Or I'll be watching Survivor <laughs> forever. Um, so in addition to Survivor, I have Music Rex that nice. I wanted to include. Uh, this one's a little old, but it's it's she's always good for a summer bop. Carly Rae Jepsen's Side B came out. And because she's Carly Rae Jepsen, the Side B sounds like a Side A of any other artist. Like, sure. it, a lot of it will sound familiar because I think Carly Rae Jepsen by now, we know her sound. We're familiar with it. We know what kind of bops she puts out. But I don't know. Every single one I was like, yes, Carly. And this one. 
okay, and this one. Like, the side B does not sound like a side B, so check that out. No. Um, and then uh, Run the Jewels couldn't have been better timed for our political climate right now. Uh, Run the Jewels 4 dropped, and it is so fucking good. Have you heard it? Yeah, I was just telling my friend yesterday, I, uh, I put it on, and I, it, I obviously expected it to be good, but I was surprised at just how good it was. Man, like, yeah. Like, obviously, I thought it would be good. Uh, that's why I listened to it. But then it was like, it's even better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's the exact same reaction I had. I always expect Run the Jewels to be great. And I was still like, damn. And yeah. especially, you know, if you're going to protest, it's a good album to listen to, to get pumped up. Um, and yeah, I mean, the timing of it was just amazing. I like I recognize Run the Jewels is always political. Um, and mm-hmm probably they've been working on this for a while and it's not as serendipitous as it seems, but man, what a great anthem to have with what's happening right now. Yeah. And I mean, just like, I don't know, like LP and killer Mike are just two of the best to ever do it. So they, good. like they're, they're incredible. Yeah. Uh, so do check that out. I've listened to it maybe 80 times <laughs> the whole album <laughs> all the way through. It's all I've been listening to. And then finally, because again, I haven't been watching a ton of stuff other than Survivor, but to suit the sort of mood we have going right now, post-apocalypse, end of the world type shit, uh, I watched The Warriors for the first time ever. Oh, wow. Which is insane because it's basically I've had it recommended to me by so many people because they're like, this movie was made for you. When I used to jujitsu, I had a warrior's rash guard that I wore and people constantly were like, that movie's great. And I had to be like, never seen it. I just liked like the design of this Poser alert. <laughs> and uh, my buddy Phil was like, how have you never seen the Warriors? It is made for you. And I was like, I know, I know. So, I mean, it's basically like kitschy Mad Max uh, in New York City and Coney Island is heavily featured and Coney Island is my visual aesthetic. I love mm-hmm. haunted carnivals and stuff like truly it is made for me. So I finally watched it. Uh, everyone's right. It is a kitschy good time. It flies by. It's so fun and dumb and bad in the best possible way. I will say certain aspects of it did not age great. Uh, they no. dropped the F bomb a lot. Sure, sure. A lot. And I did not care for it. Um, but other than that, but if you were able to put that aside and just recognize this was a different time, a different place. <laughs> It's got a great diverse cast, phenomenal fight scenes. There's a, a fight scene that apparently that took them three days to film in a bathroom where they absolutely trash this bathroom and it's so well done. Um, I The only thing that made me a little melancholy watching it is it's so sweet to, in my mind, it's so sweet that the creators of the Warriors thought that in our post-apocalyptic hellscape, we would still wear matching outfits <laughs> in our gangs like we'd yeah, have little sure, vests that we'd all wear mm-hmm. and we'd all be mm-hmm. match and i'm like man we don't even have our shit together enough to make that prediction true but no. uh the costumes are great it's it's such a good time if you know you can get past some of the language stuff and i'm sure there's other stuff that i'm forgetting too that i was like yikes um but you know it was a long time ago but i i enjoyed it yeah, that's a classic movie. I mean, that's, yeah. that's so good. It's really, I really love good. The um, 
this is also just fun to see a bunch of uh, kids, many of them uh, people of color, uh, getting away from the cops and outsmarting <laughs> them in like in a fun way, not I don't mm. think in like a triggering way. Like there's lots of like barely outrunning the cops in the subway, you know, and it's it's right. very cathartic to watch. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Eric, do you have any recommendations? Um, geez, I don't know. I didn't like, <laughs> are you okay? <laughs> yeah. I, it's one of those, it's a, again, I'm in this trap of like, most of the stuff I watch is like old stuff that I don't even like, I just recently rewatched all of house and <laughs> like I, you recommend this every time on the show. It's always I, house. I, I, re- I was like, I was like, I haven't seen it in a while and I never watched it like from front to back. So I was like, well, I sh- should watch it from the back. And then it was like, I really like that show. It's one of my favorites. But even then, it was still like it was one of those things where like I started binge watching it, and then I was like halfway through, I was like, I'm trapped. Like I have yeah. to like I have to finish. And sure. it was just like by the end, I was just like play, I would just like I would just have it on at all times while I was awake. It was just like even if I was on my computer working on something, I would have my other laptop open playing it. Just so I was like, I gotta get through this. I I gotta finish it. I'm paying attention to it. I'm watching it, but also it's like, I just got to get it done. But I, I mean, I like it, but it's also like who, I mean, I think most people have heard of house. <laughs> it's not yes. exactly a, a recommendation type thing, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, I, I enjoyed it. Um, mostly I've just been reading, um, a bunch of like, uh, sociology books. Uh, there's anything this... you want to recommend to the normies. Sure. There, there's a great book that just came out. I think it's accessible enough because it's mostly based in it's not really heavy on statistics. It's really mostly based in theory. And I think it's mm-hmm. very accessible and readable. There's this book called The Robbery of Nature by mm-hmm. John Bellamy Foster and Brett Clark um, to they're like I, th- I may have recommended them on the on the show before. Maybe this book. I can't remember. But uh, it's they're basically like two foundational theorists who have been putting out work for several decades that sort of made the intellectual case for like eco-Marxism or eco-socialism. Mm-hmm. They're like two of the like founding fathers of that discipline. And so uh, they have just been like putting out great work for a long time. They just released a new book this year. Um, so it's, I went through it. It's great. And it's like I said, I think it's, I think it's pretty accessible read for people even that are not super like into social theory on an academic level and stuff like that. It's like, there's a lot of really good stuff in there that they make a lot of great points about like human relationship to animals, human relationships to nature, why capitalism and the earth are incompatible. (laughs) Um, Like Mm -hmm. just like that whole thing. It's a, it's a great collection of essays. I highly recommend it. Hell yeah. I'm into that. Um, And is that all you're reading? That sounded like I was negging you where I'm like, is that (laughs) all you're reading? Well, that, those two writers are all that I'm reading. I've I have I currently have four of their books sitting on my desk. Wow, going, you're a fanboy. I have to be. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to work. I'm trying to like I'm trying to I'm trying to get in there. I'm trying to go study with them and prove to them that I'm worthy. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm going through all their work uh, and you know putting together essays and stuff that I can submit as a graduate application. Not that you were necessarily talking about materialism, but it made me think of materialism where. Man, every time I move, I think I'm downgrading more and more. And I'm like, cool, I'm, this is going to be an easy move this time. <laughs> I've I've given away so much shit. I've really streamlined mm-hmm. this process. And literally every time I just see all of my possessions in a mountain, like a, a huge pile once I'm all packed up. And I'm like, fuck, I have so much 
bullshit that I need yeah. to get rid of. It's insane. Yeah, I, it is. It just accumulates. It's very. It's, it's just, just like so it's sneaky. Just, yeah. And yeah, I've I been that... in this apartment for two years, you know, so I've had time to like acquire more stuff. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, I was still like, fuck, fuck. I've, I've had the exact same problem where it's just like you're know, like. Because I, I aggressively get rid of stuff. And I'm just still like, at the end, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, where, oh, how did I get all of this crap? I, did, I had no this? idea. We're trapped in an unending nightmare is what I'm saying, mm -hmm. guys. Um, yeah. So, Eric, since you don't have a lot of recommendations because mm -hmm. you're um, a nerd, and I say that with love. Um, <laughs> yeah. How have you been coping in, are you guys still like hardcore quarantining or have you started to like go out a little bit? I mean, I go out, but not like, not in, in a, like a social way. Yeah. Um, so a, a walk in the park early in the morning when there's not a lot of people around, mostly the only time I leave my apartment is either to like do a walk or to go to like the bodega on the corner for sure um, for, for food and supplies. And that's, I mean, that's really, yeah. I mean, I, I'm still like, I'm very like still not convinced that this is over. And yeah. so I, uh, you know, and so I want to see some more convincing data before I'm willing to go start like socializing and being in groups and stuff like that. So, you know, regardless of the recommendation, I mean, I still, I'm very privileged. I can work at home for, mm -hmm. I don't have to leave my apartment for the rest of my life. I like, I, you know, um, so uh, so I'm sort of like just taking the extra precaution of being like, I'm not going to leave unless it's necessary. And I will go out again in a social way. Once I see some good science that says that it's okay. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about this in the bad news section, but we've already seen spikes, uh, in rural areas that indicate there, there will be a second wave. So mm -hmm. I think it's good that everybody be cautious. I have been considering strongly getting a bicycle. Oh, there you go. I know. I've been, apparently it's really hard to get one now because so many people are buying them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and of course the prices are going up because price gouging. Um, but I didn't realize because I'm stupid. And also, I, like, I don't think I've ever bought a helmet because when I was a kid, obviously, my parents supplied one for me. Sure. <laughs> so I, like, never looked at helmet pricing. Uh, a good Same. helmet is very expensive. This is one of the reasons I don't bike is it's I mean, a um, I'm a huge wuss and I'm scared to bike in the city. Me too. And, <laughs> um, yeah. But the other thing is just like. I mean, once you get into it, it's so expensive. It like, is, but ultimately I'm like, I don't know. The other day I, I had a walk to sign the lease for my new place. I walked mm. nine miles. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a lot. And I'm just like, <laughs> man, if I had a bike, I could have flown over here. Um, mm -hmm. Our good friend Shem bikes everywhere and he gets places so fast. Yeah. Now, the flip side of this is literally everyone I know who rides a bike in the city has been hit by a car or knocked off their bike. Absolutely. Everyone without That's exception. Same with me. Every person I know that bikes has a story. Every, yeah. every single one. Um, this is not a, a city that's friendly to bicyclists, but I, I'm wondering if that's going to change because of the pandemic and so many people riding yeah. bikes. Now it feels like maybe we're poised a little bit more for, for bikes to take over. I think there's a lot of changes coming. I actually, this is one of the things I'm working on for a conference in the fall is, is I, I, you know, based on some public opinion polling and stuff, I see, you know, um, 
change just like fundamental changes in in urban behavior like and uh, like one of the ones I'm, I'm researching right now is um people's willingness to go vegetarian after covid right um because a lot of people there was a pub, some public opinion polling and i think england and uh or britain whatever i don't know whatever to call it uh but uh, uh <laughs> um but they uh th- it was something like 20 to 25 percent of of respondents were like yeah I mean, I'm very heavily considering like going vegetarian because it's like a lot of these pandemics are uh, come from animal agriculture and and, you know, just in general uh, interacting with wildlife. And so, you know, the the sort of industrial agriculture system we have is like causing all these issues. So now because COVID was so bad, you know, and causing so many problems, I think public opinion polling is changing on that a lot. So, and I think probably the same thing is going to be true with bikes. Probably going to, you know, probably going to see a lot less subway traffic after this. Um, yeah. This shit about like, Oh, we're going to put a cap on how many people can be on the subway. I'm like, how the fuck are they going to manage this? I think that's all bullshit. Yeah. There's no way there's no, what are you going to do? You're going to put people at every door and count as people walk in. Like what well, are you going to do? They have that one idea where they're like, you'll get an assigned seat number. And I'm like, are you fucking high? Like you, this is going to fall you, apart instantly. Have you literally ever been in a subway station <laughs> in New York city? It's, or talk to is, anyone who has been <laughs> the MTA in New York is like literally like the closest I've ever seen to like Mad Max. Like it's yeah. pure chaos. chaos every man for himself like it is just a war zone every day yeah yeah i don't miss it at all i mean i miss the i think the subway is one of the like the the biggest modern marvels in the world like the fact that it was built the fact that you can get places so easily but the way that it is currently operated is (laughs) utter insanity yeah um did you say you were getting ready for a conference in the fall uh, yeah, it's most likely going to be a virtual conference. Um, what conference? A uh, sociology conference. Oh, cool. Oh. So did you, are you, what kind is it? Did you get like invited? Well, it's, uh, it's, so the school that I graduated from in Alabama is a smaller state school and it's part of a regional sociology conference called the Mid-South Sociological Association. So they just have a yearly conference and you submit paper ideas um and they accept it or decline it so um and uh yeah one of the organizers is a mentor of mine and they are doing like special sessions on covid and stuff and so since i live in new york um and have had firsthand you know uh <laughs> sight of a lot of this um and because this is a, you know studying like animal agriculture and stuff is a, a big passion of mine they um i submitted something and i think i'm going to present it in the fall so that's awesome fun. congratulations um can I watch? Is, are they going to record it? Well, they should. I will definitely let you know. There is talk of it being half in-person and half hybrid, so or half virtual. I don't know. I think a lot of that is based on, like, they might be locked into a hotel contract that they can't get out of. Oh, so. yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> so, I don't know. So, But, yeah, definitely, if it's, if, it's, uh, if it's online, definitely. Awesome. I'm sure a lot of our listeners would want to see it, too. I'll uh, send you the details. Awesome. So before we get into bad news, I wanted to make fun of the celebrities who posted that video apologizing for racism. <laughs> Somebody p- please give Aaron Paul a job. Somebody please, hire wait, Aaron hold Paul on. to do something. Let's amend that. Please 
get him a job that is better than Westworld because that <laughs> season was one of the worst things I've ever seen. He's a great actor. I think he means well. I think he's a good boy. This was just um, not he's his so, best moment. He is so desperate to act. Uh, so- he really brought it in the video. People were like, give him a award because he is emoting right now. Um yeah. Yeah, it was very embarrassing. Uh, I don't have a list of the uh, actors who took part in it, but I I believe like Kristen Bell, uh, Sarah Paulson, you know, like the usual suspects, the woke-ish people in uh, Hollywood <laughs> um, got together and were basically like, uh, I stand against hate. I take responsibility for being a white person. Um, and like, here's how I plan to make it better. (sighs) And again, I, I think this is what people are imagining when they use that term and it gets thrown around a lot by the right to dismiss everything the left does. But in my mind, this is what virtual virtue signaling is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, what gets me about this is like, Nobody asked for this. Nobody wanted it. Nobody asked for it. This is up there with like Gal Gadot and company singing well, Imagine. That's what makes it even crazier is because that video came out and was universally panned on the internet <laughs> of how stupid and out of touch it was. That's all people talked about for weeks was how stupid these people were for making this video. And then a new group of celebrities was like, you know what? I think I got it. Look, I've said it before out. and I'll say it again. The biggest threat to our democracy is bored actors. When people show up with a camera and they're like, we're going to film you. They can't control themselves. And they're just like, great. Awesome. I'm not working right now. Get in here. And then suddenly Aaron Paul's crying to camera. And it's like, oh, (laughs) my God. Get this man some work. Every every celebrity is like (laughs) Ralph Wiggum being like, I'm helping. You know, you know, a great example of somebody who actually helps and actually puts up his money and fucking shuts up and just makes and produces films that star excellent black talent, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's yep. not in this fucking video. Brad Pitt's uh, production company made some of the the biggest black-centered films of the past decade. He donates his money to charity. He doesn't participate in these types of fucking publicity stunts because he's actually doing what he can do as a celebrity which is put up your fucking money and support black organizations and black actors yeah and it's just like it's so dumbfounding where it's like it would make sense if it was like if you if they made like a cringe video and it got a lot of like retweets and people like you know what i mean like if they got something out of it but it's like Every time they try to do this, they put it up, it gets universally hated, and then they just don't learn any lessons from that. I don't like I don't I don't understand what they think they're they're getting out of it or you know. Um and it it is sort of like the purest form of like like to your point, like the purest form of virtue signaling where it's like, well, we're not gonna do anything to help, but we'll put out a video saying we're taking responsibility for our whiteness or whatever the video said. Yeah, and, and I don't want to imply like that they aren't also putting up money because I don't know, like Chris yeah, Bell, I mean, they might I don't Aaron know. Paul might also donate money. But like my thing is you're still centering yourself mm-hmm. in this debate, even though it seems like you're not. 
Like, we don't need to see you on camera ever saying this stuff. You can just donate your money. You can go to protests. So your your little followers will also want to go to protests. I think that's also effective to just sort of mm-hmm. show that, you know, hey, I'm doing this and you guys should do it, too. I think that's really effective. Yeah. Um but yeah, I don't, it just, it's gross. It's gross. I wish, I wish we could just learn this lesson once and for all. White people, you don't have to center yourself in the conversation. Just use your privilege and use your fucking money and support and amplify voices of people of color who are already out there and who are probably talking about all of this in a much more articulate way than you are. Um, mm. And just amplify them. We don't, I don't. I don't need to hear Kristen Bell's feelings on things. Right. Well, and I think this is. Uh, I mean, I don't know if this is true or not. This is my gut feeling, which is that I think this is uh, a. I think there is a big unintended consequence of books like White Fragility and stuff, um, mm-hmm. where because regardless of what you think of the content of the book, I think it has created a movement where a bunch of white people feel like they need to publicly self-flagellate and, you know, and be out in front, you know, proclaiming their, you know, white guilt or whatever. And I, that's not, I don't think that's the point of the book. And I don't think, but I, it's created that backlash. It's created no, and that, like, that in, movement. I, you know? I, t- I do agree. Cause I see that behavior a lot. And for me, it's like, when I see that behavior, I'm like, that's for you. That's, right. that's you publicly self-flagellating so you feel better it doesn't help the movement it doesn't help people of color this is 100 like public therapy for you and it's incredibly selfish for that reason yeah exactly yeah that's exactly what it is it's it's you know for either to like you know i think there are probably some cynical people that do it so they can like score points with the movement but mostly i think you're right it's this thing of like I, I, you know, I, I read, I do feel guilty about these things. And so now I'm going to go and assuage my guilt, you know, publicly to make myself feel better, not to, you know, in any way, like materially help the the problems, but it's going to, you know, by making the statement or whatever, going to help me feel better about what I'm doing. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I get very self-conscious about that because I host a show, so I, sure. I talk about these issues, and therefore I have to center myself because I'm the host of the show. But I have a feeling because I haven't been approached for anything like this specifically, but in right. the past, there's been like movements similar to this that have contacted me. And you do experience a moment of panic where you're like, I don't want to like be on record as saying I don't want to do this because right. then you're afraid like, I look like I'm rejecting this whole movement that I support. So I'll just do it so people can see that I did it and I'm not on record as having rejected it. I think there's some nervousness like that as well. Mm -hmm. But to that, I just say like, you can reject it and then publicly say, here's the reason I rejected it. I don't think now's the time for me to center my white ass in this like (laughs) conversation. I fully support it. I'm donating money. Um, I'm going to protest, but you all don't need to see my face. I don't think anybody would see a statement like that and be like, oh, that they're racist, you know? Right. But and there's a huge difference between like if, you know, uh, uh, black activists, black scholars, Black Lives Matter were 
asking for people to do it versus a group of white activists like doing it on their own. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's like nobody's at the people in the, the, the people that are like really leading the movement are not asking for this. So Nobody asked for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like they're not asking for this. So like doing it is not in any material way helping them because they're they don't want it. They're not asking right. for it. Guys, on that note, on the note of white celebrities who can't mind their own damn business, here's your bad news. First and bad news, um, there were a whole lot of things that happened to the transgender community this week that I wanted Mm -hmm. to get to. Probably the biggest story, or at least let me say the one that will probably have the most personal ramifications for the transgender community. Um, The Trump administration reversed transgender health protections And I've seen a lot of people sort of uh, misunderstand what that means. That doesn't just mean uh, when it comes to gender confirmation surgery. This will impact the health at every level for transgender people when they're Mm -hmm. talking to their doctors. So it's not just when it I mean, that would be bad enough if it impacted their gender confirmation surgeries. But this is like when they go to the doctor for other health reasons, too. Yeah, I mean, I I did not get a chance to delve all the way into the actual law on it. But from, you know, so my understanding of it is based on, you know, trans activists, uh, you know, tweeting it out and kind of explaining it. And from what I understand, it fully empowers like conscientious objection doctors. Uh, you know, so if you are trans and you walk into a doctor and your doctor is, not, if the, you know, the ER you walked into is not comfortable treating a trans person, they can just kick you out. Yeah. And this was all based on the myth that there were doctors who were conscientious objectors being forced to participate in and lead gender confirmation surgeries. That did not happen. So it was just sort of this straw man argument where it's like, oh, these poor doctors are being forced to participate in surgeries that they have moral qualms with. And it was like, truly, that never happened. That was just something the right concocted where they're like this dystopian vision of what could happen to the medical profession. It doesn't even make sense either because it's like that's a special surgery. You can't just walk into an ER and get that type of surgery. You have to go to a specialist. And obviously that if you're going to a specialist, they they that's the thing that they do. So, you know, it's not that it's not something you could like, you know, force a doctor to do if they if you're going to them as a specialist, then they obviously already do it. So it doesn't even make sense on its face. Right. Right. Um, But obviously uh, uh, another nightmare scenario that has come true. It's it's been sort of awe inspiring in the worst possible way to see every worst case nightmare scenario that we predicted when Trump took office coming true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It's like, and it's, it's, it's all at the same time. (laughs) It's really like, it's really, you know, um, and, and, you know, what really, I mean, the whole thing pisses me off. I don't want to say what really pisses me off, but, but an extra added layer to this is like, 
you know, Democrats and leftists always get blamed for for using crises for political means and stuff. And it's like they're just nakedly passing this legislation in the middle of two of the biggest crises that have happened in year in decades at happening at the same time. Yeah. And they're just passing this legislation, which doesn't have anything to do with the current issues going on, you know, uh, and they're just doing it anyway because they know, like, I mean, it's getting media coverage. But at the same time, is it I mean, who, you know, when you have a bunch of people that are dealing with a pandemic and a huge uh, protest movement, like it's necessarily going to block out a lot of the coverage that it would normally get. Well, it's extra infuriating, too, because I'm so old. I remember when Trump first took office where there were some people penning like glowing op eds about how he would actually be surprisingly progressive when it comes to LGBT issues and and that bullshit. And it's like, well, here we are. Like everybody knew not everybody, but like the people in the know knew that was bullshit. And here we are with like the worst possible thing now happening. Yeah, and this is why it's so dangerous to reduce, uh, you know, uh, LGBT rights to gay marriage. Because that was like the whole selling point was like, well, Trump is actually the first president to ever get elected supporting gay marriage. And so, you know, he's actually the first pro LGBT president. And it's just like, I mean, good for him, I guess, that he supports gay marriage. But that's the that is not even on the table right now. Like, that's not even an issue we're discussing. I mean, there's so much more involved with LGBT issues. And they're like and he's just I mean, just truly like raising the ground on on all of it. Yeah. And so the timing of this was just so malicious, so disgusting, so this decision uh, comes at a time where it was the the four year anniversary of the the Pulse massacre, um, the worst mass shooting in U.S. history. Forty nine people killed at a Florida gay bar. It happens the same week. There were two uh, black transgender women who have been killed. Um, Dominique Remy Fells in Philadelphia and Rhea Milton in Ohio both killed. So in at this moment, this is the moment where the Trump administration decides, you know what, let's just burn those transgender health rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, you know, it's weird, too, is that like they keep the I feel like with Trump, the, these coincidences keep popping up where he'll do something on like a major anniversary or something. Mm-hmm. And people be like, well, it's just a coincidence. But it's like, well, it's these are coincidences that keep happening an awful lot. Like this is happening on the anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shooting and during pride month. And then, uh, uh, and then like he's giving a race speech in Tulsa, Oklahoma on Juneteenth. It's like, what the fuck is happening? Like, yeah, to me, it it can't be random, right? Like it, it feels so personal. It feels like also very specific to 90% of what the Trump administration does is just trying to erase the legacy of the Obama administration. (laughs) So not that Obama was like spectacular when it came to transgender rights, but you know, certainly better for the LGBT community than, than this nightmare. Um, but yeah, it, it, it feels like it would have to be personal, right? I mean, I don't know if Trump himself is doing it, but like a lot of this stuff feels very planned out and very like that's his whole administration is just like constant 
you know, I don't want to say trolling because I think trolling is maybe giving him too much credit and it's, it's, it doesn't really, doesn't really, I, I think prevail like the, the brutalness of it, you know, and the cruelness of it. But it's like everything he does is just to strike at his enemies. Like every, every single thing that he does is just to get back at his perceived enemies. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't even know if it's so much a coherent, like, obviously, they they do hate the LGBT community. They hate transgender people. I'm not trying to erase that. But it almost feels like another sort of shot at the Obama administration, where it's just like, this would really piss them off. <laughs> Let's do this, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I also, while we're in the bad news section, wanted to talk about, I feel like we could devote the entire episode to the protests and the police militarization and the police state response to the protests. But specifically, I wanted to uh, talk about Washington, D.C., because in my opinion, that's where some of the most interesting is a terrible word to use. But mm -hmm. I think that's a good sampling because it had everything right. It had the police yep. militarization. It had the police brutality. It had massive protests. But the one specific aspect I wanted to talk about is the fact that everybody kept posting photos of some kind of military presence in Washington, D.C., but no one knew who they were. Um, mm. Some were members of the D.C. Guard, the National Guard. Uh, some were unidentified uh, officers who weren't wearing any kind of, like, insignia. It was a very disconcerting amalgam of, of a military response where it's like, I'm sorry, what's happening here? Yeah, I mean, D.C. is like uh, a prime place for that because you have it's like the center of every, you know, national security military apparatus. So it wouldn't surprise me if some of that was private security. Wouldn't surprise me if some of that was like Secret Service. I mean, who knows? I mean, yeah. that's really what's so dangerous is that it could be anyone. The New York Times has uh, an article about it. Oh, the audio started playing in this <laughs> article and I was fully <laughs> thought someone was in the apartment. Wow. Uh, so the New York times has a write up about like what the fuck was going on. And it was really interesting just to see what the response was, even within the national guard, um, and DC guard itself. Uh, mm -hmm. like for example, a white national guard commander called the standoff in Lafayette park, or I'm sorry, Lafayette square, the Alamo, where that's when they tear gassed everybody. I'm sure you guys have seen video of it. Um, black members of the DC guard objected to turning on their neighbors. So there was dissent within their ranks. Army leaders told pilots to flood the box with everything we have as two helicopters buzzed protesters in the streets. So like, real mixed responses even within the guard <laughs> itself yeah i mean the i mean this is like i mean it's so obvious that it was just like as soon as there was a protest outside the white house i mean trump was just like you know give me every military person you can find and just like sick them on them you know right um and just absolutely insane response for nothing i mean for a protest you know? yeah and i know we've been I, I'm very aware that we're talking about the same themes every week. So I'm trying to approach it from a new angle, but obviously on this show, just to be on the record, um, 
police reform does not work. Okay. Eric Garner was killed with a chokehold that was outlawed in 1993. That is what reform looks like. Reform is just sort of like reshuffling the deck, but we still have all the same cards, you know? Um, here in New York City, the New York City Council is considering cutting a billion dollars from the NYPD budget. Here's the problem with that. The NYPD budget is $6 billion with a B. So I don't know, maybe a $5 billion budget versus a $6 billion budget will be slightly better. But in terms of saving lives, it's not going to do that much. We need significant cuts, significant cuts, and we need significantly fewer officers. And we, when we say defund the police, I think that freaks out a lot of people because it just in their head, in that equation, we're just subtracting a lot and we're not adding anything. That is not what defund the police means. Defund the police means we take that $6 billion and we reinvest it into housing, into living wages, into education, so that our society overall gets better so that we don't have the need for people to come in like an occupying army and terrorize people. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of research showing that, you know, uh, by investing in the community, um, you can mitigate a lot of these problems. And also a big one is not having police show up to mental health episodes, uh, you know, these types of situations. Cause they're, I mean, they're not equipped to deal with it. And most of the time, you know, it, the police do this funny trick where they pr they pretend to be sort of like community protectors, but what actually happens is they are their own like organization with their own you know um, self interests. And so when a police officer shows up to a like a person having a mental health episode, the Officer is not there to deal with the situation. Uh, I mean, they are in, in a general sense, but, you know, the, the officer is always going to protect his own life before trying to help the person in need. Mm. And because it, it, the officer, uh, you know, values his own life over the communities, the organization values police lives over other people's lives. So uh, officers are not. I mean, not, not only are they not trained, they shouldn't be dealing with these situations because their first reaction to a person with a mental uh, health episode is to shoot for their own protection. Right. I mean, essentially what we've done is we've put police officers in charge of, as you were saying, like mental health care services, um, housing disputes, domestic disputes. Suddenly this one job is eight jobs and they are undertrained. But guess what? They have a gun. And like when you put someone in that situation, it's like, what the fuck do you think is going to happen if there's a mentally well, ill person ranting and raving and possibly physically violent and you have a police officer with no training in mental health care, but they have a gun? What do you think is going to happen? Well, they have a gun and they have the legal right to murder. Yeah, exactly. And they have they complete protection by our legal system that even if they're in the wrong, not only will they not be punished, they'll keep their job. Yeah, I mean, the only justification a police officer has to use is that they fear. This is why I mean, like, they, they're like their own self-interested organization is like a cop only has to say that he feared for his own life and that justifies killing community members. Right. So they're not there for any sort of protection. They're there to enforce 
whatever laws are on the books at the expense of the community. Um, there's a great book. I don't know if it's free anymore. It's free for a little while on Verso Books, but um, this great sociologist at Brooklyn College um, wrote a book called The End of Policing. Mm. And uh, check out Verso. It may still the ebooks may still be free, but he does a really great job in this book of like going through this case of like you know when we say at the end of the police most people's first thing is like oh it's going to be anarchy people are just going to be robbing and murdering everyone you know it's the purge and he really points out that like that's not the case and by removing the police we can you know deal with the, all of these issues that actually need to be dealt with in much better ways that have a better outcome in the community and also there's a shit ton of stuff the police are doing that shouldn't be illegal in the first place the police should not be going after sex workers they shouldn't be going after you know people using drugs like none of this stuff should be the police's job in the first place and we so, yeah we also have a, a real misunderstanding of what real policing looks like on a day-to-day basis um Prison Culture has a a New York Times op-ed that I believe went up today that does a really good job of breaking down the the usual responses when people say defund the police. It's like, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? Most policing does not look like arresting a bad guy. Most policing just looks like doing paperwork, uh, harassing people (laughs) because you're you're, uh, you know, reinforcing these uh, laws, which oftentimes punish poor people like that's what most policing looks like. Um, And then in terms of, well, what about the rapists and murderers? It's like, listen, we still have rape. We still have murder right now. And we have a huge prison industrial complex, a huge police state. So and guess what? Police officers, the second most frequent complaint against them is that they are sexually harassing or assaulting people. So the police themselves are doing a lot of the raping. So if (laughs) if we're really concerned, if if you're so concerned about rape, which I I sort of question if you actually are, um, because if you were, you would be petitioning for every white frat in the country to be outlawed, right? (laughs) You were actually so anti-rape. You're so afraid people will be raped um you would want fewer police because what's more dangerous than someone who has the full protection of the law and is armed who has bad intentions like what do you think is going to happen yeah i mean one of the 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 the, uh the question of like rape and and violent assaults is is an interesting one because uh as miriam or prison culture points out in her article and like it's one of the one of the prevailing social issues of the past several decades have, has been the fact that rapists are not being caught and prosecuted in the first place. And police just shrug off rape victims. They do not have any they don't they don't care about them. They don't try to deal with them in any sort of way. Most of the time they brush them aside or don't deal with them at all. Uh, they blame them for what happened to them these are not new ideas. This has been going on for decades. This has been in the public eye for decades. And then all of a sudden people are like, well, what happens if you take away the police? Like they're not doing shit to begin with. Right. I mean, sort of, not sort of exactly on that note. I don't know if you saw the story about one of the officers who was involved in the, the killing of uh, Brianna Taylor, um, Brett Hankinson, Uh, It was revealed that he has been accused of planting drug evidence in a lawsuit. And more recently, two women have come forward with claims that Hankinson sexually assaulted them while on duty. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, there is this. uh, Yeah, I mean, that's just I mean, of course, like, you know, um, Derek Chauvin had, I mean, a decade's worth of complaints against him. 
um, you know, all these cops do. Uh, and you know, um, I remember there was this Twitter thread. It was like a very banal Twitter thread, but I thought it made such a great point that I think most people know, but they don't really think about, which is like, he was talking about a friend of his was a cop, uh, when he, like when he was going to college, his, his friend from high school became a cop or something like that. And so just like out of curiosity, he went on a ride along and like the cop spent the whole night. He, you just drive and you punch in license plates and figure out who to pull over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all that they're looking for reasons to pull people over. They're not actually protecting anyone or like fight, like seeking out, you know, crime or, or, you know, p- um, public safety issues. That's not their job. They're literally like driving around or walking around in New York and just like trying to find someone. They're yeah, like, and I do. I saw somebody else post about how. Uh, oh, maybe it was Eddie from UCB. Or I forget. But somebody was posting that when they got taken to a uh, police station, they were arrested. All the cops were doing was playing Law and Order on a loop. <laughs> Jesus. I do feel like police procedurals like that have really brainwashed people into thinking that cops, all they do is stop bad guys because that's all those shows, of course, show because that's the most interesting aspect of law enforcement, right? Like the fantasy, like the good guy stopping the bad guy. But that is so that is so rare. Yeah, I mean, it is really like it is very extremely rare. And it's just like, I don't like it's, you know, yeah, like you said, like, you know, this is your point. It's just like people's perception of what police actually do is so warped and, and it's, I think a lot of it is people who don't have interactions with the police, you know? Um, cause for a lot of people for, for maybe a majority, I would, I would venture to say a majority of people, their only interaction with the police is when they call them when something happens to them. So in that regard, it does feel like a protective force. You're like, Hey, Something happened to me. I called the police. They came. They took care of it or whatever, um, unless you're a rape victim. But, uh, you know, so but I think a lot of privileged people like that's their only interaction. So that's how they see police is like, yeah, and I, force. I think that's a point prison culture made in in her op ed where defund the police. What that would actually look like is the reality for most white Americans right now. Most white Americans live in communities where you don't interact with the police on a daily basis. You only need the police when you call them. But for people of color in poorer communities, what our current situation is, is total occupation um, Mm -hmm. by the police. And defunding them would look more like suddenly they're not being inundated in their communities anymore, like white America is right now. Yeah, somebody, that's a great, yeah, that's, I saw somebody made, uh, you know, a similar point is like, you know, all these people are, are sort of like proclaiming, like, how can we have areas without the police? And they were like, we already have it. It's yeah. the suburbs. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. there are no cops in the suburbs. They right. drive out there when there are problems and they get called. Although uh, there yeah. was a trend, at least when I lived in the suburbs, of even uh, police in schools was starting. And that was yeah, very sure. weird for us as students, because as privileged, mostly white students, we weren't used to seeing the police on a daily basis. And suddenly we had an officer in our school and we were like, Oh, this feels bad. <laughs> this is not good. Yeah, of course. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, of course, like you're just like being watched all of a sudden. And it's just like, and, and again, it's like when you have that, uh, when you have that relationship with the police and then it's also like, Oh, also they can do whatever they want. 
if a police, like literally if a police officer walks up to you and for no reason tries to arrest you and you resist, you can be arrested for resisting arrest. Right. You know, so it's like, like there's all these like problems with the way we do this. And and I think it's just, you know, the, I mean, this is an obvious point, but it's like the people who are on the shit end of this are the ones speaking up about it. And the people who do not have to deal with this don't understand what the hell is going on. Right. Uh, and then lastly, in the bad news section, I didn't know if we wanted to talk about this, but we talked about other transgender issues. So I wanted to talk about J.K. Rowling acting a fool. Um, I read, did you get a chance to check out her entire statement on like turfs and all of that stuff? Uh, no, I did not. Yeah. I, I sort of, I like opened it up and I was like, you know, I, I know she like, I, she like, uh, like basically just doubled down and then, uh, yeah. Know, uh, so to, to recap very broadly, um, she does double down in it. Um, she misrepresents a lot of the facts about what actually happened with, she's citing a specific, um, lesbian who feels that she was, uh, really victimized within, <laughs> uh, progressive communities for, for being a turf. Um, but again, like misrepresents a, a lot of what actually happened. But the main point that I wanted to talk about is, she tries to explain like her particular anxieties about the transgender rights movement. And what it really boils down to, I think, is she has past trauma um, when it comes to she was in an abusive relationship and she was sexually assaulted. So her main beef is with cis men yeah. and not with trans women. But in her mind, uh, a trans woman is nothing more than uh, like a cis man who's trying to sneak into women-centered spaces to assault them, I guess. Um, And in reading it, I was sort of like, I felt very sad. Well, first and foremost, I feel horrible for the transgender community because it sucks to be targeted by a really powerful figure like jk rowling like that's horrible but reading it i also did feel sorry for her because this is a woman who clearly has deep trauma but is unable to understand that trans women are not sneaky cis men (laughs) like we're talking about two different groups of people if jk rowling came out and was like i have a lot of concerns about cis men i would be like girl same 100 percent we got to talk about these cis men. They're acting crazy. They're all, they're shooting everybody. They're sexually assaulting people. Like we have to talk about cis men where she of course loses me is her, her foundational misunderstanding of who trans women are. Trans women are women. Yeah. I mean, a lot like it sucks where, yeah, I, I feel similarly where it's like, she went through something awful. That's awful. I have sympathy for her, but you know, it, it's also not good to, you know, I think it would be valid to, you know, it, it to acknowledge your trauma, you know, I, you know, I, I'm scared of X or whatever, but you don't get to like take that out on a community of people, right. you know, at, at the same time, you know, and there's, there's just so much, you know, um, in the views of like, uh, turfs or, or whatever you want to call them. It's just like, uh, 
you know, uh, there's so many weird, they go in so many weird directions. I don't even know if they understand, like by taking all of their rage out of the, the trans community, like, you know, I, it, it, they seem to like a lot of times call for like, I don't know. It's like, if you're, a, if you're a woman and you're scared of, you know, in their eyes, men being in your spaces, looking at you, potentially attacking you, it's like, if you're scared of being sexualized by somebody, like, is that also, are you also scared of lesbians being in there with you? Because like, they're attracted to you, you know, there's all these mm. weird, they want this like weird segregation going on. Or it's like, that's none of this is happening. Like <laughs> these are all things that you are fears that you've made up that are by, you know, in, in large part, just not happening. But you're, um, and, like, I only want to pee in a room with people who aren't sexually attracted to me. <laughs> Anybody that, who's I mean, not that, sexually attracted to me get in this line and I will pee with you. That, I mean, it, that's what it feels like to me a lot of the times. So the, yeah. It's like, oh, I don't I don't want somebody who's, you know, looking at me. It's like, well, you probably are in a room with people who are attracted to you looking at you if you're I'm in a locker like, room undressing. What is going on? I feel like I have missed the fun bathrooms because like anytime <laughs> I have gone into a bathroom, yes. I am all business. I go right into the stall. I, I do my business. I come out. I wash my hands. Okay. I wash them. I sing happy birthday twice in my head as I wash my hands. I dry them and I get the fuck out. Where are these party bathrooms? And I'm not talking about it. Like I'm not talking about it, but like bars or the club. Like I know those bathrooms can get fun. I'm talking about like you were at an office, you were going in. What, who is even thinking about, man, I hope nobody wants to fuck me in here. (laughs) <laughs> i don't it's so strange and it's and it's but it's it's even more nefarious than that where it's like it's a perceived problem that it then has turned into like full-on like you know uh rejection of a community and like like uh i mean i don't want to say assault because i mean I, i'm sure there have been assaults but i don't know any off the top of my head of like you know turfs attacking trans women but it is f- like a full-on like culture war they've started you know, uh, and, and and now people with gigantic platforms are getting on it. So well, and even- what's so fucked up is we do know that there are assaults happening in bathrooms. But again, it's usually cis men attacking people or right. it's transgender people themselves getting jumped by mm-hmm. using a perceived quote unquote wrong bathroom, which, by the way, this is what J.K. Rowling is perpetuating by saying this shit that transgender people are using the quote unquote wrong bathroom, thus heightening their chances of being physically attacked when they try to go to the bathroom. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, what do you, you know, and you know, this all got brought up, you know, when there was the big like bathroom bill summer or whatever it was, you know, when there was like multiple bathroom bills, but it's like, what do you want? You want armed guards outside the bathrooms checking people before they go in? Like, what do you want to do about this? Exactly. Yeah, like a total police state. Yeah, I need to see your genitals before you come in here. Like, it's completely insane. Um, by the way, sometimes it's the people on the right saying this shit. And it's like, okay, so you're so afraid of a big government takeover. And yet you're okay with people policing our bathrooms. Like, <laughs> right. do you believe in personal liberty or not? What is your right. fucking deal? Unbelievable. Um, and then finally, because I know we're going long, but what is time who cares uh, i wanted to talk about covid popping off in uh rural areas i think like something like 17 states have seen spikes in their reported covid cases it's so bad in arizona they're running out of hospital beds um 
but yeah, I, I wanted to talk about this because I know, and a lot of people have made this prediction and it's already happening, obviously, that this spike would be blamed on the protests. But according to medical experts themselves, uh, the, the incubation period for COVID is something like 14 days. So at least in terms of what they're seeing in their own states, it doesn't match up with when the protests started. It matches up with Memorial Day weekend when everybody was going to pools and beaches and not wearing masks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There. I mean, this is sort of like, you know, COVID is such an interesting case uh, because we're doing real-time epidemiology on an unprecedented problem. Yeah. It's real hard. It's really it's hard, tough. especially when you say um, host a news show. <laughs> Right. Right. And so there's a lot of like conflicting data constantly. I mean, even like I was like kind of freaking out the other day because it was like there was an article that popped up in my feed that was like, oh, WHO says asymptomatic um, transmission of COVID is very rare. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, (laughs) I'm going to lose my fucking mind. (laughs) You know, I'm going to lose my mind if this is true. And then it's like they retracted it the next day. And it's like, you know, it's it's tough because we also live in a society that's very like in the moment. Give me the news. Give me the information right now. And it's like, guess what? Science doesn't work like that. Well, especially Um, because people understandably were panicking. So like they wanted information as quickly as possible. But as you're saying, like, this is a disease that we still are only beginning to kind of understand. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw, I won't post it cause it's super graphic, but they did for the first time ever a double lung transplant of a young woman who had COVID. She was like in her twenties and Eric, they showed a photo of what her lung looked like after oh, COVID. Yeah. It oh, looked like somebody had roasted it over a fire. I, I like can't believe how much this virus can wreck people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, and and the, the, what sucks so much, I mean, it'd be one thing if it was like we have a pandemic, but we have, you know, competent leadership and a plan. Uh, but the pro, I mean, the biggest issue right now, I think, is like we don't know what the hell's happening. Uh, and it's honestly, you know, I feel bad because it's like I don't I honestly don't feel like we're in a position to tell people just stay home because people got to pay rent and eat. And the government's not doing anything for them. And well, so that's the thing. in a sane world, they would have canceled rent. But yeah, I can't tell you starve, you know, like I have friends who have had to go back to work because they're in the service industry and I'm just like, be safe, you know, but like, I know, like you said, they have to pay rent. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, like, like I said, you know, uh, on a previous episode, it's like, we got the, the worst of all the worlds where it's like, we shut down a bunch of businesses, but we didn't cancel rent. And so people can't work, but they still have to pay rent. Um, and, you know, and, and also the government's not going to help you with your money in any way. So, you know, it's and it's just like I want to be able to tell people, look, you know, stay home. Let's weather this, you know, um, until we can figure out a good plan, come up with some sort of tracing system. Or I mean, the vaccine's going to be a while, you know, Um but it's, you know, I wish we lived in that country, you know, that would do that and send people money and cancel rent and all this stuff and just be like, look, we got to weather this. So we're going to do what it takes. But we're just in the worst of all the worlds where this thing is still going on. It's still spreading. It's probably going to keep spreading for a while. And then also you're you, you don't even have the option of staying home for a lot of people. I think if you do, you should. 
you know, if you have the option, like I do, I, you know, I stay home cause I'm just not convinced that this thing is over. Yeah. Um, so I think if you can, uh, you maybe a little bit have an obligation to do it. Um, I'm sorry that it sucks. That you're going to miss the summer. Uh, being outside is nice. I get that. But like also, you know, um, this is a big deal. Um, but also I can't tell other people not to, cause it's like, I, I get it. If you got to work, that's on like, that's not on you. That's, that's, I mean, that's, you know, being forced to work in a pandemic is not your fault. It's right. the fault of not having any sort of social safety net set up, no co- competent government, no sort of society where we value, you know, people's lives. It's just like, it's just complete like anarchy out here. Yeah. Guys, on the note of total anarchy, that's enough of the bad. Let's get to some dang good news. Here's your good news. All right. So in good news, I wanted to talk about uh, the New York Times has this article with a really remarkable poll from Civics, which tracks um, the opinions of registered voters. And its central finding was in the last two weeks, American voters support for the Black Lives Matter movement increased almost as much as it had in the preceding two years. Wow. So a huge spike. Uh, And they do a side-by-side comparison of a similar reaction that happened to the concept of gun control after the Parkland shooting, Um, where unfortunately it takes like a really horrific act, like four police officers murdering George Floyd to see this spike in support. But even by those standards, the standards of Americans briefly supporting something after a horrific event, even by those standards, this is extraordinary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's pretty uh, I think that idea is pretty borne out where like um, it's really hard to get people to sign on to an ideology. But once they're either personally affected by it or, you know, like, you know, I think back to like. Um, like the civil rights movement was really pushed forward when people started having televisions. Cause it's like, you right. tell people and I, you, t- you tell people an idea and it's like, all right, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe not, whatever. Then you see it and it's like, oh yeah. Like I it mean, changes and you so see, much. What you're seeing is police officers blasting people with fire hoses, sticking right. dogs on them, like horrific imagery. What yeah. is, it's a reality. It's like a daily reality for mm. at that time, poor black people in the South. Not that much has changed, but you know what I mean? Um, right. But when people finally saw it, they were like, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, I, I, I am very sympathetic to the idea that people do not want to spread videos of, of, you know, black people being killed by police. I I'm very sympathetic to that idea, but I do think it does unfortunately have value. Um, I think when people offer critiques about white people sharing those images on Twitter, they're not talking about like that news agencies shouldn't share the image. And even news agencies have adapted where they'll say like, 
this is a graphic video or a graphic image. Just click mm -hmm. this link if you want to see it, which I think is mm -hmm. a, a good compromise. Um, yeah. They're talking about every single white person then retweeting it into their feed. So that it's like sense. a constant bombardment of, right. of horrible imagery of black people being hurt and killed. That right. is incredibly triggering. And it's like sure. nonstop. Um, and that I think is just up to us as like white allies to be like, you know, this story is out there. I'm not going to be the millionth person to retweet George right. Floyd getting his windpipe crushed into your feed, you know? Right, right. Yeah, it's it, it, yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I used to, you know, I think as it, it, it should be, I mean, like a lot of things, it is one of those things like you feel like you should be like, hey, uh, you should be against police brutality against black people. And people will be like, yeah, absolutely. But it's yeah. honestly, that's just not the case. And, and sometimes it does take a, a, a massive event. And we've seen, you know, one of the largest protest movements in U.S. history rising up because of this one. Um, it's been really interesting because I do feel like somebody asked me the other day because um, I covered Occupy and they were like, does this feel like Occupy? And I was like, feels bigger than Occupy. Um, Way bigger way bigger and it feels like it's attracting the support of a way broader swath of the American population because like I'm used to my usual like younger woke friends supporting something like this um but even like older people too, you know, really being sympathetic, being like, my God, how many more people are going to die? Why are the cops like this? Like they seem way more receptive to concepts of not just like supporting Black Lives Matter, but defunding the police, which I think mm -hmm. even five years ago would have been unthinkable. Yeah. And I, I will say too, I'll be perfectly honest. The past few weeks have changed my mind on a big thing, which is that I previously was very very ardent that marches did not work mm. um but i think a lot of that too is because in the past in the past like couple decades most marches are like you know you petition the police you sanction a march and you know ha like you know having a show of support is great but uh, you know often it's like you have your one day march and then everybody goes home and then nothing changes and i think the past two weeks have been very inspiring where people were, people are still going out into the streets today. I mean, you know, people are still going out into the streets. They're not sanctioned by the police marches. They're just going out and like taking over whatever they want. And I think that has shown to be very effective. I do agree with that in part, but I'll just say that the police officers who killed George Floyd weren't arrested until there was a full riot. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I do think there even now we're seeing a combination of like the age old debate between nonviolent protests and direct action. We had both. Right. We had mm -hmm. huge peaceful protests. I mean, Washington, D.C. had like one of its largest protests ever um, mm -hmm. peaceful, you know, and it was really moving to see. But then we also had the direct action of people just straight up lighting police precincts on fire. Right. Um, and and rioting and a different kind of uh, uprising. And right. man, the city of Minneapolis responded real quick when direct action was happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, <laughs> you know, and and I think, you know, um, in, his, in in MLK's favorite speech about, you know, uh, riots, 
uh, being the language of the unheard. That was sort of his point was like to people was like, if you don't respond to people peacefully protesting, this is the next step. Right. And, exactly. And that what we that's what we've seen is that there have been people protesting this stuff for decades and nothing gets done. And then right. finally, the, you know, it, it reaches, you know, I think I, I don't think it's a coincidence that this movement got sparked. I mean, obviously, the, the death of George Floyd was so brutal and out of control, but also like you have, you know, it, I don't think it's a coincidence that it happened during COVID where you also have a bunch of people out of work. Yeah. Um in desperate situations and then it's like another one you know another one happens and it's like fuck this you know yeah fuck I, all this fuck you know you know and yeah i know i mentioned this before on the show but i do think it was weirdly serendipitous that i mean we we know so many white lefty performers in this city used to be closed. They have nowhere to perform anymore. They all lost their jobs and they have been going to the protests like, like it's their new job because they have so much time now. And, and that's not to diminish. Like, I, I, I think the solidarity they feel is real. I think they're really upset by everything that's happening. They genuinely want to help. We are all trapped in a capitalist nightmare, right? And usually (laughs) it robs us of our time. It robs us of our energy. It robs us of of our our living, uh, our ability to live comfortably. But now that everything has fallen apart and everybody lost their job, suddenly it's not that we're free from the capitalist nightmare because, you know, everybody still owes rent. People are really struggling. But suddenly we have time that we didn't have before. And it's like, well, shit, I actually care about this and I'm going to turn up. And it's, I have never seen so many people that I know going to protests and it's really amazing. Yeah. It's time. And I think it's also a little bit of like, I mean, what the fuck else do we have to lose? I really am just like, and man, every time I say this, I know I am tempting fate. How does it get worse? Like what else is going to, and believe me, I have a million nightmare scenarios in my head of how it could get worse, but I'm just wondering like, when are we going to hit bottom with this thing? And I mean everything. I mean the fucking institutional racism in this country, police brutality, but I also mean the economy, the pandemic, the maybe fascist dictatorship, you know, like, are we going to have an election in November? Like I have all of these, all of these thoughts, but the thing that I keep drawing comfort from is that people really fucking cared that George Floyd was murdered by these cops really cared, not in a performative way, because I've seen that too. This was like, and obviously, you know, I, I knew black people and people of color would care, but even the white people I know, they actually, actually, this really, really hurt them in a deep way that was surprising to me. Because I was like, I knew they would care, but like people are really, really emotional right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's a confluence of all the events and it really is like what the, you know, I, I was thinking the other day, like how funny it was where for years there was always the conspiracy theory for every president of like, oh, they're going to institute martial law and, yeah. and cancel the election. And now it's like, that could happen. I don't it know. It could happen, guys. And, it, and <laughs> I I've don't... said this before on the show, it could happen in a way that is actually in the interest of public health because 
if we have a second spike, will it actually be safe for people to stand in lines and vote? Now, don't get me wrong. I know the right will use this to manipulate the election and undercut mail-in ballots and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think it would be out of the realm of possibility that canceling the election would be medically necessary. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a really scary thought. And I think there is a sort of uncanniness to this administration where, you know, I think, you know, even things have been bad for a long time. But I think for a lot of people who are comfortable and privileged, it's sort of like, oh, this thing's bad. This thing's bad. But, you know, life is basically normal. Things are going on about their day. And finally, I think there's just this confluence of like everything is sucks. Like everything is fucked up. And I think yeah. it finally is affecting, you know, um, people. And I think people are just waking up to it because it's sort of like. You know, it's just a conflict. Like everything is sort of like going downhill, and it's sort of like, I, like I think people that were in previously comfortable situations that were could ignore a lot of things are are now like, like everything is is bad. You know, I do and, think and, that's true. I think that it is that we've been deprived of. When I say we, I mean you know, privileged white people have been deprived of a level of comfort that we were used to, and the second we lost that little bit of comfort, we were like. Well, this is fucking bullshit. This is bullshit. Um, But I also think like as bad as institutions have failed everyone, I mean, other than like, you know, the upper 1% who are still fine. But like for the most part, our traditional institutions have failed all Americans. Um, We're sort of returning to this like mutual aid system where we're like Mm -hmm. drawing comfort from each other and and protecting each other. And a large part of that is because the traditional institutions have failed us. You know, everybody always jokes about like GoFundMe stepping in for like healthcare. (laughs) It's like everybody at some point is going to have to put up a GoFundMe where it's like, well, I have to get an incredibly expensive surgery. Could you guys help me out? That is obviously not sustainable and not the goal, but I think it is an indication of like, we will take care of each other as best we can it, could that ever take the place of, you know, an actual um, functioning government? No. But I always draw comfort from the fact that, like, people turn up for each other when we need them, you know? Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So also in good news, both houses of the New York State Legislature have passed a bill to repeal New York Civil Rights Law Section 50A, which has shielded police disciplinary records from the public for 44 years. So obviously I talked a lot about like the need to defund the police and that reform is largely bullshit. I think this is a good example of a reform that is actually good mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because I don't know if people knew this, but yeah, for, for four plus decades in New York city, you straight up couldn't see the disciplinary record of a police officer. So like we just saw Derek Chauvin in, in Minneapolis who murdered George Floyd. Turns out he had 17 something disciplinary notes in his record. And, but yeah, here in New York city, say if you're a police officer, uh, Pantaleo who kills Eric Gardner, uh, we would have had no way to look into his disciplinary record to see if he had had, uh, prior complaints registered against him. Right. No, this is a great, um, great move for transparency. Um, I'd love to see, 
um, you know, it, it, until the police are abolished, um, I would love to see, you know, somebody, you know, a maybe it's a community group, maybe it's some sort of, uh, but you know, once this information is open, I think tracking police with bad raps is yeah. a very uh, um, useful thing. Um, uh, I know, I know, a lot of people had problems with the campaign zero, like the yeah. sort of like this is the data-driven way to reduce police violence. Um, I know there's a lot of issues with that. I do think there were some interesting ideas in there, and that was one of them, where it's like, I, I mean, until the police are abolished, I don't think it's not going to happen overnight, but until it is, you know, this is one way of like, like fucking, you know, if you can, if we can fund an organization that just fuck their whole job is to monitor the disciplinary records of all New York police cops, you can put that shit on the internet. Like you, like, you know, once it's open access, you know, you can like monitor these bad cops and, and, and call, you know, and put them on blast until something's done about it. Yeah. I think there are different tiers of reform. They're the, the very silly reforms like banning chokeholds that have already been banned since 1993 body cams that cops can turn off. You know, they're, they're the silly reform, like cosmetic solutions that aren't really going to do anything. And -hmm. then there are the more meaningful reforms. Like, I think this is a meaningful reform. Obviously the goal should always be, um, getting rid of police (laughs) and like fully, fully just doing away with them. But in the meantime, leading up to that, cause that could be a a process that takes decades if it happens at all, you know? Um, but I think this is actually an example of like, yeah, why don't we have access to the disciplinary records of public servants? Right, exactly. Ostensibly, right? Ostensibly, they are here to serve the public. If we're still pretending that's true, right? Right. Why can't we know what you've done at at your job? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no reason. I mean, that that doesn't exist. And so this is good. And also it was good because it just made uh, one of my favorite pastimes is just uh, reading the tweets of the police unions Um, because they the New York police unions really, really go crazy on Twitter every time something happens. So they just can't um, handle any kind of scrutiny. They're like, you guys can't know all the bad things we're doing. You can't. Absolutely. You'll hate us. <laughs> I mean, they they they're like full on like boomer all caps tweets. Like, <laughs> it's it's like really something. It's a really great dose of of Schadenfreude if you're into that sort of thing. I am um, always into but, Schadenfreude. But yeah, it's like these are, you know, I think this is information that can be used for good because yeah, like we need a database of the fucking police and who's violent and who's not. You know what I mean? Like we need to put them on blast. Like you know, and like I said, you know part of abolishing the police is that it's going to have to be, it can't be an overnight process because a lot of these things are going to have to be replaced by community organizations and stuff. So that transition is going to take a little time. So in the meantime, while we're doing that, this is these, like you said, like these are good, meaningful reforms that can, that can have a profound impact. Uh, And then lastly, in the good news section, I wanted to talk about these Confederate relics everywhere coming down um, recently in the wake of the George Floyd protests, during the George Floyd protests, uh, protesters have toppled, uh, several Confederate statues all over the country, or, uh, these cities and states have removed them of their own volition in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, Portsmouth, Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, 
Louisville, Kentucky, Jacksonville, Florida, Birmingham, Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama, Nashville, Tennessee, Alexandria, Virginia, Mobile, Alabama, Bristol, United Kingdom. We've seen Confederate statues, uh, racist statues um, coming down all over the country. And then, of course, NASCAR just banned Confederate flags from their Mm -hmm. races, which is huge. The second I saw that, I was like, oh, racists are going to be so (laughs) mad. And of course, everyone is interviewing Bubba Wallace because he's like the only black (laughs) NASCAR (laughs) driver. Uh, And he said it's a long time coming, which Mm -hmm. I agree with Bubba. Well, first point. I just want to say, how dare you pronounce it Mobile, Alabama? It's Mobile, Alabama. Mobile? Um, Is that true? Mobile? (laughs) Yes. Mobile? Um, Sorry. (laughs) um, uh, But, I mean, as somebody who grew up in Alabama, like, I, like, good fucking tear them all down what yeah. what gets me about the confederate statue thing is like the the arguments against it are so bad faith that it really like i i like you know i've mentioned on the show before i listen to a lot of right-wing media because i'm just uh, i hate myself but uh like so the arguments against it are they make me so upset because they're such bad faith like it you know that is it is one of those issues where I don't believe a single person who is arguing against it. Like their arguments are so bad and so bad faith that it actually makes me upset Um, because it's like, it's not really preserving anything. Uh, Nobody gives a shit about them except for people who are into the Confederacy, Um, you know? uh, And the bigger point is that most of these Confederate statues were, were, are not like monuments that were made during the Civil War. They were put up during Jim Crow to like to intentionally antagonize black people. Yeah, and like the people who say that we're like erasing our history by taking them down, who ever learned anything about history from looking at a statue? Like right. I don't know. I just I never whenever you see a statue, even if you read the little plaque, you're like, huh, interesting. But it hasn't had a meaningful impact on my education. Like we'll still have history books. We'll still have all of these racist names and a neat little column. Like they're in the history books. We'll learn about them. When you have statues to public figures, it's because we want to admire them and, and see them on a daily basis. And if you want to see Confederate soldiers on a daily basis, bad news, you were racist. Right. You're a it's racist. Not, it's not like a thing where they're preserving history. That is like if you want to pre- like preserving history is like having like, you know, uh, a, a historic Civil War battlefield. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a place where a historical event took place. Right. That's a thing that I mean, you know, we can have our argument about that, but that's at least like preserving history in some sort of way. The statue is not preserving anything. It is specifically, like I said, like meant to valorize these people. And also, like, you know, the majority of them were built in a time when they were just doing it to antagonize black people. So it's not even, you know, it's this whole like preserving cultural cultural heritage and stuff. It's not like it's not like like these are not like the fucking like Sphinx. It's not like some ancient artifact. It's like pretty shittily made statues that were put up. You very fast during a certain period of time. You can um, tell they're shitty and put up fast because they come down real easy. <laughs> so easy, a bunch of people just grabbed the chain and tore it down. Like, I was like, the they were like, not using that much strength, and that thing just fell over. Uh, 
Yeah, and obviously, you know, the the same debate has been happening uh, around Christopher Columbus, who was a genocidal monster. Listen, maybe you want to have statues for uh, men who fed babies to dogs, but I don't. And also, he was so bad that they fucking took away his title once he went back to the motherland because they were like, Christopher, you did what to those people? So they didn't even like him. Who wants to worship this man? So my question to you, Eric, is since all these statues are coming down, who would you like to see replace them? Um, I obviously have my serious answer, which is like figures like Harriet Tubman. We should have statues of like actual historical heroes. Mm -hmm. But then also when I tweeted this after the Christopher Columbus thing popped off. Listen, Italians and Italian-Americans, I know you're very attached to Christopher Columbus. He was a genocidal monster. You need to let that go. If you want to actually have statues of, like, Italian figures who we admire, might I suggest Marissa Tomei? Or maybe (laughs) Tony Soprano, who was a bad man, but nowhere near as bad as Christopher Columbus. Or, and I was saying this on behalf of my Irish brethren, because we don't have as many great statues as the Italians, but (laughs) there's no Mr. Potato Head statue anywhere who is (laughs) an Irish figure I admire. Um, Honorable mention, Colin from Normal People. That's his name, right? Colin? I don't remember the the hot Irish guy. Um, He could have a statue because he is a consent king. He was very worried about consent in Normal People. Mm -hmm. Give him a statue. Um, Or maybe just his necklace. Give that a statue. Um, also, uh, Dolly Parton would be a great figure to have. Gotta have a Dolly statue. In America. Yeah, who would you like to see statues of? Well, on the Italian front, uh, I saw somebody mention on Twitter, I think it's a great idea. We need a Sacho and Vanzetti oh, <laughs> statue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gotta have, gotta have Sacho and Vanzetti. Um, by the way, there's a great episode of The Sopranos about the whole Christopher Columbus thing. It's really funny. It's really they get into it. They have like an actual debate. Like the mafia guys are like debating Christopher Columbus. And it is actually very funny and well-written. It's great because uh, it's it's really funny because it's like um, the whole episode you think is going to be about how like the whole like Soprano mob is angry at like the local <laughs> native activists for yeah. like protesting the Columbus Day Parade. And they're always talking about their Italian pride and shit. And then like at the end of the episode, their actual relative from Italy is there. And he like there's a huge like north south divide in Italy and like the Columbus was from the north and he was from the south. And he's like, <laughs> I hate him. I spit on his grave. <laughs> Um, uh, and so it's like this very fun, it's like a great episode about this, this whole thing. And like, yeah, like who gives a shit about Christopher Columbus? Um, I think all those are great. John Brown, uh, would be a good statue. Um, yeah, all those like, like, yeah, Harry Tubman, like all these abolition figures, they all need statues. Um, you know, uh, if we're going to, I mean, I, I'm honestly, I, like do it like people should like i don't care about statues i could give less of a shit about statues so yeah. i it's hard for me to like come up i just don't care i the most i've ever been affected by a statue would be walking by one and be like oh cool and then keep walking like that's the most i've ever felt about a statue yeah well i mean the statues that really are moving are like 
the Statue of Liberty, which ostensibly is about welcoming people and, and you know, liberating people. And right. wouldn't you want statues that are devoted to abolition and freedom and, and love versus war statues or statues of people who wanted to keep individuals enslaved? Like, what are you getting out of this? And I know the answer is you are a racist who wants to look at a statue of another racist and see your own vision of the world reflected back at you. But like, why do the rest of us have to fucking tolerate it? <laughs> right. And you also know they're full of shit when they say like, oh, you have to keep up like memories to the bad people. So you remember your history. And it's like, oh, well, bullshit. you would fuck, you would fucking lose your mind if I wanted to put up a hammer and sickle statue. Oh, in New yeah. York. Yeah. Big fuck, time. Then, Although great pe- idea, Eric, write it down, <laughs> write it down. Pe- people would fucking lose their minds. Like nobody's wanting to put up, like nobody's putting up a, a, a Hitler statue. Like the P like that, that would be insane. Also, what are they afraid we're going to forget? Slavery? The war? Like, I remember, (laughs) we'll remember there was a big-ass war that, by the way, we fucking won. (laughs) Uh, And you all are still butthurt about it, so you need little fucking statues in the South. But sorry, you fucking lost. Slavery is not legal anymore. Um, But yeah, they're just fucking pissed off because the world's changing, and it's like too fucking bad. I hope every single one of these statues comes down. I hope they cut off the head of every single Christopher Columbus statue. How is that fucking statue still up in Columbus Circle in New York City? Somebody get a tall ladder and fucking cut that thing down, because Cuomo won't fucking do it, because he's a fucking coward and he doesn't care. Um, Yeah, every single one should come down. Absolutely. And that's the other thing that gets me about like the Confederate flag thing. It's like it's so weird to me that the people that want to fly the Confederate flag are like the same people who like proclaim themselves as patriots. It's like the whole point of the Confederacy is they wanted to leave the country. So what the fuck? Like, what what are you patriotic about? Right. Right. Um, guys, I'm sure we're so over time right now. This is probably an hour and a half episode. Hell yeah. (laughs) Oops. Uh, please follow Eric on Twitter. E R E K underscore Smith. Uh, how's the podcast going? Uh, I have not released an episode in a few weeks because it did not feel appropriate. Right <laughs> um, on, right on. Because uh, uh, it's not news or, or anything like that. It's just a little silly interview show. But I have a couple in the can. I must probably start releasing in a week or two. Because um, it just didn't, like, it felt weird. I didn't want to be on Twitter, like, promoting my fucking podcast about sure. bass players and shit, you know? Um, so, not that things are, like, dying down, but it feels like, you know, it, it's things are opening up a little bit more. It feels uh, like I'm not uh, a horrible, terrible person if I put out, you know, um, something in a week or two. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll start posting episodes again in a week or two. Um, yeah. So you can check that out at based B A S S E D pod on Twitter. Nice. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Allison Kilkenny. We're on Twitter as well. Light trees and pod, but also Facebook and Instagram And the best place to get in touch with me is always Twitter or Instagram. Not really on Facebook as much these days. Don't really check the old email. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Guys, a lot's going on. Uh, And I'm very easily overwhelmed. So, uh, you know, doing the best we can. But, uh, yeah, please, please continue to support uh, Black Lives Matter, the movement. Um, If you can set up reoccurring donations for organizations that need you right now, that's great. Because the worst thing that could happen right now is if people lose momentum, lose the energy that we have going into this thing. That was so amazing to see. Let's remember uh, 
to have solidarity for each other and and support each other and um as always uh fuck the police and defund them right guys thanks so much for listening and while you're at it um just stay inside and make a little trouble donate bye